Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 477 on Tuesday, the 7th of June, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where I finally get my microphone to work, we'll be trampled by the stampede of class action lawyers rushing to court. We wait to see the new stripy jumper and mask uniforms for petrol retailers. And we cut through the air with our list of the week. But first, we have a smidgen of follow-up, and this is the news that a EU court advisor has recommended that the judges rule that uh, class actions can be brought against uh, Mercedes-Benz in this case if defeat devices were fitted uh, to the vehicles in question. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we know Volkswagen across the EU and the globe has had to pay out to consumer groups for apparent damages and loss. Again, I mean, we're six and a half years into this. I am actually at a loss of understanding what damages and loss these people have suffered. I still don't get it, to be perfectly frank. I still don't get it. If it passed the rules which were not good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that if it passed the rules, I don't understand how that could be wrong, but whatever. We'll not get into that because we're... we're Somehow people were damaged by the fact that their car didn't lose any value. Yes. That's, that's it, basically. This is uh, the, the fact that Mercedes-Benz has been brought here by a German group uh, and a German legal team. Mm. The judges do not have to, or are not bound, as it says in this Automotive uh, News Europe article, by the advice of their advocates, or their advocates general, but in the majority of cases, they do actually just follow along with that. Mm -hmm. In reality, it probably will happen this way, so it means Mercedes have got to go to court uh, with people across all the countries in Europe, and then that all transfer to Britain as well, because there is obviously mm-hmm. the cases being brought in Britain. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. Each EU member has to determine the methods for calculating compensation, and I'm quoting here from the article, ensuring oh it was commensurate with the loss or damage sustained. As we just said before, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. In all likelihood, that's what's going to happen, and Mercedes are going to have to pay up. There are other companies that have been fined by the EU, which will now be brought into this, I am sure, by eagle-eyed legal firms looking to make some money. No, sorry, sorry. I mean, protect their potential clients. Yes, not Mm. just make a quick buck. Anyway, take me away from that before I get too angry and cynical. Take me to May. Yeah, May. Of course, it is the start of the month, so it is the uh, new car registration figures. And they are bleeding grim, I think, is a pretty, pretty, pretty sound summary of them. Those of you who were watching Zoom Zoomers last night, or who watched the recording of Zoom Zoomers last night, knows that there was a small preview of these coming up right there from some people, uh, who who then decided that they weren't going to give it all away, so it was a big surprise on the motoring podcast. (laughs) I know, I know. May, new car registrations are 124,394 cars were registered in May. That is down 20.6% on last year. It is the second worst May on record ever. The only one that's worse is May 2020 when we were all locked down and you weren't allowed to go out and buy cars. Component shortage, there just aren't cars to buy or register, quite frankly. That's what it boils down to. Yep. 
I saw some interesting stuff on component shortages recently, and part of it might be the, the, the toilet paper effect. So people were saying that instead of where they would just buy a couple of hundred of a certain chip in the past, now they're making sure they can buy a few thousand at any time. So if they can get hold of them, they're buying lots. So they do actually have enough to make a product. Oh, okay. So again, that is lengthening and lengthening and lengthening at the time it takes for everything to recover as well, because people are ordering more. And so there's more pull. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off topic. No, no, you, 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 you're, right, you're right to bring that up, because I did see a report that Skoda was starting to build their wiring um, harnesses in-house now, because they've been particularly hit. I can believe that. It, it's not a hard skill to bring in-house wire, wiring harnesses, as long as you've got the little bits. Um, so getting those into the right place in the right factory will have taken the time, but then to actually set up a station to build it, to build wiring harnesses shouldn't have been the end of the the end of the earth mm. anyway sorry i'm digressing quite quite terribly there numbers for the various fuels uh, i i don't have the the buy fuel you put into the car breakdown this this month i'm sorry uh, it isn't to hand but market share for diesel is six percent these days a mild hybrid diesel, just in case you think that that's going to be a big factor, is 4.7%. So that's just over 10%, almost 11% between the two. Petrol, 45.6%. Add in mild hybrids, another 13.5% for petrol. Plug-in hybrids come in at 5.1%. And full hybrids coming in at 117 percent of market share battery electric vehicles 12.4 percent i'm curious as to whether next month is going to be a tesla ship month uh maybe for reasons not that we will come to no because shanghai has been locked down for so long this is true and most of the uk uk tesla model threes do come from china even though they kept their staff on site don't even go there. They don't, still couldn't. Go they there. still can't get them on a ship to get them out to anyone. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. That's a good. That's a good observation. Top ten anyway. Hyundai Tucson is in at number ten with two thousand and ninety-four registrations. Uh, Volkswagen Polo is in at number nine. Kia Nero in at eight. Kia Sportage with two thousand two hundred and sixty in at seven. So really, not many vehicles uh, between those two. Between that bit. Even fewer to number six, <laughs> Nissan Qashqai is 2,261 <laughs> vehicles. Otherwise, there would have been a... Wait, have we ever... I think there was once we saw a draw in this, mm. in all the times we've been doing it. Yeah. Mini uh, is in at number five, uh, automatic only, I assume. Volkswagen Golf in at number four, 2,623. Uh, the top three are the Ford Cougar, with a significant jump to 3,379. The Ford Puma... Uh, at number two and number one is the Vauxhall Corsa with quite a significant jump uh, over the Puma to 4,399 vehicles. Corsa most registered year to date as well with 17,198. Just uh, quite a bit actually about uh, some, some live mathematics here. Uh, just over 1,500 uh, units ahead of the Ford Puma. Still Five months into the year, these are paltry numbers. Yep. Really, really bad. What I'm interested with, just before we move on, mm. the Vauxhall Corsa is bucking the trend because nearly everything else is an SUV. Yes. I mean, there are a couple of other cars in there, but mm -hmm. effectively, the top tens 
or certainly year to date, is virtually SUV top tens. They're more profitable. They're a normal car that sits a bit higher, but that you can charge more money for. Cost the Do same they to make charge one. significantly more? Not enough, but it's still enough. Because mm. I was going to ask this when we got onto a, a topic later on. I was going to ask what sort of markup the companies are mm. making on an SUV because... You, you need to ask the companies, but I don't think they'll answer. No, I, I would imagine they, they will not give me a, an answer, let alone a no. straight answer. <laughs> yes. And yes, Ian, you are correct. It is the Vauxhall Corsa is has many underpinnings from the Peugeot two hundred eight. It is basically underpinned by the Peugeot two hundred eight. Right. So spreadsheet of doom. Anyway, um, and yes. it very much is spreadsheet of doom. Uh, am I going to let you read out all of those? I'm going to be quick. I'm not going to give percentages. I'm Good. just going to be yeah. quick. Audi, BMW, Fiat, Honda, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Peugeot, Renault, Seat, Skoda, Sanyong, Subaru, Suzuki, Vauxhall, Volkswagen, Volvo, other British and other imports, all bad. There are many others in there that we haven't named that haven't met the threshold of minus 15% that mm -hmm. still haven't had a good month either. Uh, it's... Hey. It's grim. I mean, the, the figures themselves, down 20%, it, is, it was always going to be grim. Please cheer us up with one or two positives, Alan. <laughs> okay, so the positives uh, come in from Abarth, Bentley, Cooper, Odacia, DS, MG, Polestar, and Porsche. So none of those are big brands uh, at all. You say that, but MG. Well, I was going back to say, the MG, the MG award for high percentage change uh, goes to Bentley at 81 0.55%. But MG, though, up 28%. That's 3,143 vehicles registered. You have to congratulate them on that. I yeah. mean, I know they've they've added another three... I think they've added another three dealerships this, this week. Yeah. That's more than double Mazda, for example, to put it into context. It's only a little below Land Rover, and it's only 200 behind Mini. A Mini had one of the most registered vehicles of the month. Yeah. Making up two-thirds of its numbers admittedly you know there's some some serious numbers in there porsche's ship came in obviously because they were up 57 percent, and polestar up 79 percent too i think it was their turn to get the chips in the wiring looms i think so yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway should we move on from uh from from registration figures and talk about some of the challenges that mercedes suvs are facing right now Yes, Mercedes-Benz is going to recall nearly 1 million models over a braking fault, so owners of certain R-Class, ML, and GL models are advised, and I do not use this lightly, not to drive until their car is inspected. I saw someone on Twitter whose wife has an ML that a Mercedes technician had come out to test them in place. So he was doing the test, the initial test, to find out whether it needed the part on the driveway rather than have the owner drive it. That's how potentially bad the fault is. Yes. This is interesting because the newest vehicle hit by this is uh, seven years old. Yeah. So That's it's, it's vehicles between 2004 and 2015. Yeah. I think this was issued initially because of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration mm -hmm. raised the concern and then from that they realised that the parts were affected globally. So there's something like 300,000 in the US, there's 70,000 in Germany and there's some in the UK. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't know how many, but uh, Mercedes will be hunting you down to find you. But if So if you know anyone that has 
an R-Class, an ML, or a GL built between 2004 and 2015, and they aren't aware of this, make them aware of it, please. Worth mentioning, if you go to the check check your MOT history part of the gov.org website, then it will tell you if there are any outstanding recalls against that model and vehicle. Oh, right. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. Mm. Only learned it very recently and thought that was worth passing along. Do you want to move us on to um, part of the government that's being criticised? <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Talking about passing things on or not passing things on, a new mileage rates for company car drivers came into force on the 1st of June. Challenge here is that there have been changes and tweaks to the AFR, the advisory fuel rates at which uh, drivers can be reimbursed for their business journeys made in company cars. These have been revised very recently thanks to the rising costs of petrol and diesel. However, for electric vehicles, there has been no change, and so the rate remains at five pence per mile. Are you shaking your head at me that, getting no, it no, wrong no. or then? Oh, no, that's no, no, okay. No. You're, you're Bob on. I just can't believe they haven't changed oh, I can. the rates. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and then people call me the cynical one. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, it's been pointed out that that's not enough for covering the charging costs for some larger, less efficient models, quote unquote. Uh, or at public tra- charge points. I don't have a lot of sympathy with the larger, less efficient models part of that. But obviously, with public charge points, and if you want to, or you need to charge very rapidly at public charge points, which indeed company car drivers may well do, then that does come in and that does become an issue. Yes, I'm more cross about the principle here. Yes. Than, yes, than certain be. people being who who have gone down a certain route Yes, I, I think uh, there should be reasons. a <laughs> it should be a reasonable percentage increase across everything. But they may well, well have done. They're going to have to in it. October again because there's the price yeah. cap of energy in October. Oh boy! Well, yes. This, of course, was a further revision from earlier in the year, uh, just before the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is one of the reasons why all the fuel prices are all going a bit silly. Not that it needs to go a bit silly, but it is anyway, because that's what they do. Talking of fuel prices and surging, <sighs> May saw a rise of more than 10p per litre on average across the UK. Yay. Uh, and I have seen in the last couple of days that petrol has actually exceeded diesel for prices and in some places has not, not and not motorway, has gone over the £2. Hmm. I'd heard similar, yes, some of the smaller, more... Obscure local local stations. I, I no idea or no reason for that to be given the prices of crude right at the minute. But um, well, uh, the price has increased to uh, one twenty four forty five dollars, hmm. one hundred twenty four and forty five cents. But it had dropped d- a lot beforehand, uh, and there was obviously the price of fuel didn't go down. I totally agree with you. And we all know that the prices always go up immediately and they drop weeks later. But there is clearly some price gouging going on. Obviously, mm. price gouging mm. going on. Because I can remember in the lifetime of this podcast that oil was higher than 125 a, a barrel. Yeah. 
and we Many were times. nowhere near this this cost. And it wasn't that tax had been put on it or anything like that, because that you know, as we were famously told, and every single um, budget speech, we're freezing the price. <laughs> Again, just for you, the motorist. Uh, We're just being absolutely ripped off completely. And it would be lovely to think if we could, as consumers, just go, you know what? We're going to have two weeks that we don't drive anywhere. It's not practical, but it would be lovely to do that. One of the challenges I'm having with this at the minute is that I'm I'm not driving particularly far right now, generally. And I'm sort of, because, you know, if, if I'm not driving very far, then I switch between cars so they all get a little bit of a go. Uh, and none of them sits for too long. The trouble is that then you use a little bit of fuel from this one, a little bit of fuel from that one, and then all of a sudden you find that all three of them are empty at the same time. And it could have been a couple of months since you last put lots of fuel in one. So then you go along and then it hurts. The Mercedes will hurt. It was something like 20p increase in the Mercedes one. Because the Mercedes tank lasts for miles and miles and miles. Huge, despite it? Was it 60, 70 litres? Something like that, yeah. yeah. And it's it's not that it's particularly efficient, but it does take a you know it takes a long time to empty the tank. Um, that hurts when you notice in in um, you know in my my mileage tracking app that just mm. how just how much it's leapt up in that time twelve twelve or fifteen p I think it was last time yeah. between fills and that that then it stings because it's not creeping up on you as this continues to rise. It will get to the point where people leave their cars at home more and more. I mean, we mm-hmm. had it when there was uh, 2008, there was the financial crash, 2008, 2009. People stopped using their vehicles because they just couldn't afford it. Yeah. And we're now being pinched from, we're not even pinched, we're just being we're absolutely not, we're just being smashed from all sides uh, when it comes to things that need money. So people will now go back to not going. I'm not going out the weekend. I'm not going out for fun. I'm not. I am using this purely to get to work and back again, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I'll get deliveries from my shopping, all this sort of stuff, and it all. It it's such a short sighted move by the petrol retailers. I, I, it just oh, beggars belief. But the shareholders will love it, mate. Yeah. Yeah, right. Let's move on before I get too. Yeah, close. well, let's move on to the, to, to to the next one because, of course, that has a the the not wanting to spend money and and, and things has a knock on effect, and it has a knock on effect to car dealers and car retailers and Carzam. Mm. It seems to be the the latest to feel the pinch here. Carzam online used car dealership. They've actually got a collection point. Well, I had a collection point. Have 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 have. I don't know quite what the tense is on this one. Up until recently, it has been possible to to collect a vehicle from Carzam just around the corner from me. I mean, literally five minutes walk. And and I did notice it was looking awfully empty and awfully dark when I walked past the other day and thought, oh, well, maybe they're uh, extending their, their, their weekend. But that seems a bit weird. You'd think they'd be busy. They're actually in voluntary receivership. This is quite an interesting thing because uh, Kazam, of all the sort of disruptors, Kazam, Kazoo, Canoe, Canute, Canoe, Car, think Car, car, car and thing. Then, put, then put something on the end of it. Yeah, which sounds silly. Uh, Cinch, there's the other one. Who were on the mm. other side of town from here? Then they were. They were thought to be the one that was most likely to succeed in all of this. Actually, even more so than Kazoo, uh, but. They've just not been able to 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 raise funding, and and one of the reasons for for that is there are there just aren't the vehicles for them to sell to get the throughput that's needed, and also 
that well kazoo not doing great no well kazoo aren't doing great either and they're, they're just they're that, that hit just... the share price which then made people get twitchy about investing mm. in one of these um, this the problem is that this is what's used in all the articles disruptor companies yes because they they are just online only they're not mm. They're not a typical giant forecourt that you go in and poke things. Exactly. It is basically an online version of a car supermarket. Mm. Uh, you know, with the same kind of stock of sort of dull German hatchbacks and stuff. Uh, sorry, grey German hatchbacks. That's what I meant to say. That's what actually went through my head just before I said it. The uh, cinch, by the way, is the exception to that. So whilst it pretends to be online and disruptory, it is really part of uh, BCA and British Car Auctions. It's it's the Constellation Auto Group um, is is the owner of all of those. But yes, it's it's not really worked out. There's, there's only one channel to buy from them. People now that they can go out if they are going to spend money on cars are going to go out and see them rather than the necessity of having to buy online. Uh, but there's an interesting point that was brought up on yesterday's Zoom Zoomers again. So we did actually talk about some of this serious stuff yesterday. And that's the point that the same squeeze on, you know, crunch on all of us that you were talking about in the last story, Andrew, is starting to affect people. So they've got into a situation where there is no stock to be had. But also, there are no customers necessarily mm. wanting to buy any stock that they had. So they can't get the stock. And if they want the stock, they've got to pay top dollar. But then people aren't prepared to change, to, to buy stock. Yeah. So yeah. this is starting, you know, this is the next challenge for UK automotive retail. And goodness knows they've they've had them coming thick and fast on this, is that they just, they can't get the cars to tempt people in and therefore, and people aren't going to just go out and buy a car unless they really they really need to and that's not enough people to be sustainable no cars who are in a bit of trouble as well i saw this afternoon late on this afternoon as mm. um unfortunately it was too late to include in the uh, in the show notes i didn't have enough time to really properly read into it but they've they've spent so much money on marketing i mean they've basically thrown their name on any sporting event they mm. possibly can or team and said, we will sponsor you, that they're now laying off staff. And, th you know, right down to all the trucks have fancy number plates. Yeah. And it worked out. I, I, I did see this a couple of weeks ago. Somebody had established what it was, they, how much they spent per car that they sold. And it was mm. an eye-watering amount of money that made everyone in the industry sort of go, you must be making 50 pence a car or something. There was, at, at the very start of uh, of this, uh, a friend of mine were, were looking, at, looking at setting up some form of competitor or some form of, not quite a competitor, but essentially a, a, a service level on top of it. Because what they were looking at, and from their experience in automotive retail, they were finding that, sure, people go out and buy from these people, once but they wouldn't mm. necessarily want to do it again and so that was going to be their next challenge it wasn't just hey look we've sold stuff it's going to be selling stuff to the same people for a second third fourth fifth time and that's where you get your money yeah yeah because there was that um tv program wasn't there, the expose that apparently made out that the 50 point check wasn't actually done on four mm. cars or something or four four people reported that they had a major amount of faults 
which could have just been the four that didn't actually make it through. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of those expose type things were like that, and you think, well, of the percentage of vehicles you put out, that's really a very, very small amount number. It shouldn't, it's still too many, yeah. but it's not, you know, enough to that's, actually that's be a thirty-minute television program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we need more data, please. <laughs> anyway, a couple of stories to zip across very quickly, I think, because we've we've nattered more than I think we were going to on many of these. Yeah, and, and this is the news that uh, Mercedes-Benz is going to, well, they have st- they are starting because they've made a big hoo-ha about this, but they are starting to trim their model range uh, and they're starting with the B-Class where they are only going to offer up until the midlife refresh, which is coming later this year. They're only going to offer a 1.5-litre petrol engine or a 2-litre diesel so they've dropped plug-in hybrids. They've dropped uh, the other petrol and diesel engines they offered. They've also reduced the trim levels from eight down to four. Could, could this be because nobody's these. buying it anyway and it's a bit of an extra vehicle? Uh, I think it goes back to what we were saying before about uh, SUVs and profits. Mm-hmm. I don't – this is a very old car in their – range it originally started in 2005 even though we're Mm. on i think the third generation or at least certainly the second that they won't be able to maximize the profits as they do in their electric vehicles or their suvs yes they're going Uh, for the pure luxury brand line uh, well that is their next step is that they will be cutting things like the a class the b class will probably go completely after the mild refresh because they want people to be going in and spending oodles of cash I'm not convinced by that tactic. I'm, I am not convinced by it at all. I mean, I'm not That's, convinced by the current A-class, but I'm really not. sounds to me, you know, when Jaguar came out and said, oh, well, you know, we can't deliver anything. Well, that makes us more exclusive. Yes. It's sort of going, oh, I think you've come up with an excuse because you've got a bigger problem. <laughs> no, it, it's because they're not offering the massive discounts that they were before. That's why. Mm. Because before it was like, take a car, please take a car, and now it's like, well, we can't build any cars, so we're not. Well, gonna... hence every th- every third car is an A class on the yeah. road. Basically, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, Renault must be loving it. They can sell them again here again. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, that's that's the quick one on that one. Do you want to take us to Ford for again another quick one? From August, Ford is planning to cut Focus production. And it's looking and questioning the decision on the future of the Saar Louis plant in Germany. Obviously, we've seen focus less and less in the the top ten. In fact, I haven't seen it for quite some time because, of course, it's basically been replaced by the Cougar. Ford's Focus has been replaced from the Focus to the Cougar. <laughs> yes, well, it, it has really for exactly those reasons. So, and it's looking at, at you know. Salary's suffering anyway. Uh, it, Ford chose to invest £1.59 billion into Cologne instead of Salary and into the, the Fiesta and the Fiesta based range. But they're saying no official announcement has yet been yet been made so so we shall see what happens with the focus i think this is going to be the same as the mondeo mm-hmm. insignia story mm-hmm. astra's going to go focus is going to go because mm-hmm. uh, and now we're the- we're beyond the chicken and egg question and we're now at the well if all we are given to to buy is an suv of course we only buy suvs yeah, yeah, yeah. If the only colours we can choose from are grey, grey, and grey, we'll choose grey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nobody buys colour colourful cars. Of course they don't. They can't actually buy the ruddy things in the first place. No. Anyway. It's the end of the first part, finally. 
it is the end of the first part. And yes, I think it's your turn to do the call to action, Andrew. This is our penultimate call to action for the MOVE conference. And this is going to be about the future of mobility. And it'll be taking place in London on Wednesday and Thursday, the 15th and 16th of June. This is a combined conference and exhibition, and it'll cover all sorts of topics that we like to explore here, such as electric cars, autonomous cars, well, when we say like, uh, security, regulation, <laughs> liability. Regularly cover. I think I've chose the words in my one a little bit differently, yeah. <laughs> Future fuels, uh, business models, and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to be both there on the 15th. Uh, Alan is going to be hosting uh, a panel titled All These EV Targets. Where's the charging infrastructure? Uh, <laughs> but before he does that, I'm going to warm up the stage because I'm hosting um, for a couple of hours and I'll be introducing the likes of Peter Bosch from Bentley, Alexander Petrovsky from Volvo, also Jim Holder from uh, Autocar and Whatcar, Paul Wilcox from Vauxhall um, for various panels and talks along the lines of electrified vehicles. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to see both of us on stage, or probably more realistically, the rest of the conference, then uh, we do actually have a limited number of free guest passes for our listeners. You can find the link in to register for those, as well as the link for the entire conference schedule in this week's show notes. Obviously, um, just to make sure that you do get guilted twice in one, one moment here, uh, there is still all the usual ways to support us, and they remain available to you and can be found at themotoringpodcast.com. Excellent. Yes, the, Andrew. Now that I've just dumped you into that, you have, we've now got you two two on the trot now, haven't we? Yeah, um, lucky because, everyone. <laughs> exactly. So uh, Rally Italy was last weekend. What happened? Well, Sardinia and dust happened and carnage and basically WRC happened. <laughs> Amazingly, the a uh, couple of weeks after I properly put the boot into Otanic, he ends up winning a rally. So I'm taking credit for it, purely taking credit for that. Because <laughs> of course he listens to us <laughs> and thought, yes, I need to shape up. But he actually looked for the first time in well over a year, he looked like Otanic. He looked in control. He looked happy. He looked like he is one of the best drivers out there. Again, and he hasn't looked like that for so long. He has struggled so much in the Hyundai. So he he kept a really calm, controlled, as well as quick event and, and ended up first. Breen was second, nearly mm -hmm. a minute behind, but second. And that was great for Breen and great for M Sport because they've really struggled since Monte Carlo, <laughs> to be honest. They needed something to get going again. Yeah, they did. They, they had a tough time. In Portugal. And then Sordo uh, rounded out the top three, uh, bringing it home safe. There was a point on Sunday that he could have actually pushed Breen harder, but he opted to bring it home safe, bring the points, because as he said uh, in the article that we're linked to in the show notes from Dirtfish, is he said there, my job was to make, get as many points as possible, so I didn't take too many risks. Now, people who had incredibly awful rallies include Evans. I don't think it could have got much worse. 
No, it was really bad because it was right at the start. He, he smashed the sump and that was it. And so he was out. I think Evans probably now feels like he can't wait for this season to be over because he seems to have, while some mistakes are his, he seems to be having all the bad luck that you can have as well on top of it. Nouveau as well. Again, my fault though this time. I'll take the credit for Octanic and I'll have to take the blame for Nouveau after me saying how wonderful he's been. He had a shocker. I mean, he had a, a little mistake uh, on the Friday, but Saturday there was there was no excuse for how he drove. He 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 pushed way too hard and, and tried to do something that he shouldn't have tried to do to claw back time and catch up, and he rolled the car. So, mm. you know, it, on the Friday, he took himself out of contention. On the Saturday, he just completely removed himself from points, which is inexcusable considering he is the one who has looked like the leader, the one who has been dragging the team along since the beginning of the season. Everyone's allowed a bad rally. Of course they are. I mean, the the, the margins for error that these people are working at mm. are astonishingly small. So if it goes wrong, it's usually quite catastrophically wrong when it comes to points. And that's before a hybrid engine issue comes in and and ruins things for you. I hope that Nouveau has learned from that. But yeah, um, Rovan Pera came in fifth. Uh, He seemed to struggle on some of the slower stuff, which one, I wasn't expecting to see any weakness, but uh, two, I wasn't expecting to see him struggle as much as he did. But he got points f- fifth, and he's still well ahead. And you know, there's, there's no problem there because because of the way that Tanak won. So you know Tanak hasn't been anywhere mm-hmm. uh, up to now. Again, cracking rally. The coverage was superb. The camera work and some of the photos are absolutely stunning. The, the photos, the puma and the purple has looked particularly amazing with the dust. I just, it, the color combinations just seem to, and the light just seem to have worked really well. Mm-hmm. Another just brilliant rally again. Uh, in the show notes, there will not only be this roundup from Dirtfish, but there will be what we learned and the usual Colin Clark's um, scoring for the drivers, which is quite brutal on some of them. Mm, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Do you want to take us to designer's mood board? Yes. Designer's mood board in an, in an odd slot this time around, but we're talking about uh, Rob Melville. Uh, so Rob Melville was McLaren Design Director until uh, just the other week. Uh, he's moved on after five years in charge of the design team and 12 years working for McLaren in, in other design roles. I haven't named anyone who's going to succeed him yet. Can I put a name forward? Go on then. Lucas. Miles Nuremberger? Miles Nuremberger, yeah, that's, that's the most likely. He's, dis- he's, sudden- he's suddenly left Asia. Hmm. He, I haven't heard that he's gone to Aston yet. No. Okay. Which was my number one guess. You know, mm. <laughs> as you would. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So well, let, let's let's wait and see, shall we? Let's let, let, yeah. Let's let's just see. I mean, credit to Rob Melville. He has given McLaren a corporate. You know, the they've given. He has worked hard to give them a design language. He's had a bit of stick. I think that. They all look the same. Well, I was about to add to that stick just there and go, well, he has, because it made lots that look exactly the same. But you don't know. But then, on the other hand, he's been in five years of that. So we could still be seeing the end of um, the end of the previous generation, the chap who designed the 
R53 Mini, and I have now forgotten his name, the American chap. That's terrible. Yes. Anyway, a but lot of that the, could be carryover from there. But many, much of the underpinnings are exactly the same, and they just change. They they hmm. change certain aspects. So there is only so much you can do yeah. with that platform and those constraints. And Frank Stevenson is the name that you're Thank all you. screaming yes. in your car. <laughs> it takes me a while, but I get there in the end. <laughs> Yep, so uh, as soon as we know where he's moving on to, um, which I can't imagine is Dacia, but we'll let you know. <laughs> no, I, I can't imagine it'll be Dacia either, to be honest. Uh, Andrew, new new car news. Yes, this is the news of the Hyundai i30 N-Drive N Limited Edition. <laughs> so the driven. The dri- well, the it could be driven. worse. You could, could be two letters before, couldn't it? So this is a special edition on top of the fabulous i30N. Uh, he's he's got to make up for being rude about the, the name. No, I'm now. not. Yeah. I'm not going to make up for being rude about the name. I've already told the PR team that I've, I've been very rude about the name. But there are only 75 units coming. So on this front, if Alan was still in this country, this level of exclusivity... It is, may it. be of interest to Alan. <laughs> That's quite true, actually, yes. <laughs> so it's going to cost uh, £1,535 more than the standard i30, and from that you will get a much improved, nicer feeling interior uh, with the materials and that sort of thing. Plus there will be some exterior design touches, so there's uh, some lovely wheels as well as they're not going to sell it in the N blue, whatever that was technically called, the the baby blue that they used. The performance blue, thank you. Uh, inside, you're going to have um, Alcantara, everything, uh, including the handbrake, which some people really got incredibly stroppy. Was plastic. It's still a real handbrake. Don't hold that against it, people. It honestly never bothered me for the very few times I pulled on the handbrake, I have to say. But whatever. And there's going to be lots of red stitching and everything. I I like the wheels. I like Uh, the lightweight bucket seats. I like, I like, I like. Yes. Please, if someone wants to buy me one and give me one, not a problem. Because I can't afford it. Otherwise, I'd be going to get one because everybody knows our opinion on the i30N. I like it. Yes. 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 Very good car. You want to take us to Mercedes AMG, though? Well, Mercedes AMG have finally, (laughs) yes, finally launched. When does it start? 2017, it was originally shown. The Mercedes AMG Project One concept. It's still younger than our podcast. It is, of course, that's terrible, isn't it? So, yes, the Mercedes AMG uh, project. One concept was shown at Frankfurt Motor Show in 2017. It has finally been put on sale. I don't know if that's the right term, is it? It's not really. Ready to go to customers. It is, yes. It's ready to start going to customers. It'll be produced and run in no more than 275, all of which are already sold for about £2.2 million. Uh, it was originally meant to be launched in 2019, but it wasn't. And there were all sorts of fun challenges about it. And it looks a lot like the concept as well. It, it yes, holds amazing. true to it pretty, pretty much. <laughs> I think it looks... For, uh, considering this is like 
the modern day version of the the Lamborghini Countach and that sort of thing. It's the ridiculous cars beyond it, that. But yeah, it's it's a poster car, isn't it? It is. It, it is actually one of the few cars around now, which which really is. Yeah, it, you'll see it on a poster above your bed, but you're even. You know, no matter how, even an influencer would have trouble getting their hands on this one. I think. Yeah, they may actually have to pay their own money instead. Of, yes, yes, I would, instead of charge for so. it. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> just, just quite, quite phenomenal. So the numbers are a bit bonkers. It is one thousand and forty-nine brake horsepower. That's three hundred and twenty-nine brake horsepower more powerful than the previously most powerful AMG road car, which was the AMG GT. See, AMG GT Black Series. There isn't a torque figure, but it can do zero to sixty-two in two point nine seconds if you can stand it. Zero to one hundred and twenty-four miles an hour or two hundred kilometers an hour in seven seconds and not to 186 miles an hour or 300 kilometers an hour in 15.6 seconds so just to put that into context not to 60 of the toyota igo cross is 14.9 i think seconds uh so yes i'm looking forward to watching the car wow drag race oh don't even between go these there. two yeah if they've got an incredibly long lens or wide angle to try and grab them both. There are six driving modes. I'm moving on from that. Six driving modes, race safe, race EV, individual, race plus, and strat two. None of them are called eco. <laughs> Comfort. Yeah, I know. So race safe, uh, provides on-demand hybrid properties from the powertrain uh, and races are always engaged ev is pure electric obviously um so yes it's it's just nuts lots of exposed carbon on the inside all bits of the tub and a funny shaped wheel which is like a yoke but it's cooler than the tesla because it's not on the tesla and uh, it's it's like night rider it's just really cool there is uh, a central storage area which has two usb-c ports and it has a digital, a, yeah, it has a digital rear view mirror, which has to use a camera because it has no back window. Awesomely, awesomely, achingly cool. Yes. I have put the boot in to a lot of the hyper nutty cars and gone, it's irrelevant. I don't, what's the point and all the rest of it. But this one is just so phenomenally amazing. The engine, having actually as well spoken to one of the team members who helped work and engineer on this i know the effort that went in and the engineering side of things was phenomenal to make because it's not to just make this happen but it's to make it happen reliably whenever the the engine rebuild thing is something like every fifty thousand kilometers which doesn't for an s1 engine that's brilliant well that's it that just doesn't sound like much i think i'm jumping ahead actually to the lunchtime read because i think that's where i got that that number from uh which is a ridiculous which is actually a ridiculous number of races and all these kind of things uh but yeah i'll I'll stop running on uh, ahead and i'll let you talk about lunchtime read yeah so in a rare moment where we actually link articles our lunchtime read is from uh, michael bonofsky a, a great read where he talks about the mercedes amg1 but he also talks about mercedes themselves and their history and how they go about things it's a cracking read 
I have to say, though, when I got to the end of it, I still don't know whether he's putting the boot into Mercedes over the one or he's happy about it. I, I'm not sure. I, I've, I've, got to, I've got to agree with you. But yeah, I think it's a... I, I take it... Oh, boy. We could get lynched here. Uh, I take it about a celebration of the fact that Mercedes-Benz has been there throughout the history of the internal combustion car uh, and that this is one heck of a way to pretty much end that period mm. not just that but it's also you know it's 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 got that history and also a history of making these fantastic vehicles that go along the side of its its road car range which is really weird given we were kicking them quite hard earlier on about the luxury brand rubbish um yeah. but it's well i don't believe they so say yes good. to this now I, I don't either i don't either i think it i think it had to be finished because it had been started uh, it feels a bit like the Bugatti mm-hmm. project quite a few years ago because the head of VW said we will do this. It was done. Yes, I, I think that that's that that's the case. I, there wasn't I, a, there wasn't another justification for it. No. <laughs> Uh, so this is, I mean, total pet project. Really good read. Go t- take the ten minutes it it, it takes uh, and and have a read through it. Yep, you get a history lesson if nothing else. Totally. List of the week this week is from Haggerty, and it's ten cars that mastered aerodynamics. <laughs> uh, there are ten cars here. And there are, and some of them are don't all look that aerodynamic, but actually are. No, I, I have to say that there is there is definitely one from Italy that I was absolutely gobsmacked. No, it was fantastically aerodynamic, especially uh, for its time. The, yeah, that aerodynamic was uh, the, the CD uh, mm. was mm-hmm. uh, right. I am going. Oh, this is very hard. This is it is actually very, really hard. <laughs> very hard. There's only one I definitely wouldn't pick. And which but is I am the going one to, I'm going to pick. I'm going to go for the Volkswagen XL1, mainly because I think it, it looks like the future, even though it isn't, it turns out. But also because a uh, friend of the show has not been well after his run uh, across <laughs> across America to raise money for Alzheimer. Uh, UK, which uh, he's done a tremendous job on, and, and congratulations to him yeah, on that. Well done, and I, ho- I hope he's feeling better now. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And by the way, towards the end, he was actually starting to get quite fond of it, in that it worked much better in the US than it did around Europe. He felt oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Stockholm syndrome, to be honest. <laughs> or he was getting really ill. That's why. Yeah, well, that's that was he it. Was it getting could, ill. <laughs> could have been either. Um, what else do we want to choose from here? Do we want to choose a second one or not? Do you think? No, it's only ten. It's only ten. ten. No, we'll leave it. We'll leave you it. have to read through, and you have to see what you would pick in it. And if you could uh, let us know on the twitters, and uh, don't forget the app uh, Motoring Podcast Twitter account, and let us know what you would pick mm-hmm. from that list. There are many excellent cars. Actually, there's there's nine excellent cars, and one other. And <laughs> I like the other one too. So. Uh, well, no, actually, now that I've worked out which one it is, no, I, I yeah, there's nine excellent cars. I've just realised. I'm just thinking right <laughs> to the bottom of the list. Yep. And finally, Andrew, falls to you. Yes, this is from the drive, and this is the mad story uh, that GM sold twelve and a half thousand Chevy Malibus to Saddam Hussein. They actually sold twenty five thousand, 
but after the first instalment, Saddam Hussein said they were that dreadful that he he said, I'm not having the other 12,500 and you're not getting the money. <laughs> Which, how bad was it that it... <laughs> I mean, Someone I know American car quality was not great from the 70s to the mid-80s, mm. but that is a searing indictment of how bad it was. Yeah, they were quite grim. Yes, there was a special spec for them with uh, extra cooling, upgraded aircon, manual windows, cloth seats, uh, and a three-speed uh, three-speed manual transmission as well. Uh, that was all linked to a 3.8-litre V6, making a whopping 110 horsepower. Not brilliant, really. 12,500 of them. But there was all sorts of other stuff, like they had to be made in Canada rather than the US because of sanctions and all sorts of all sorts of fun stuff. It's a great story and well worth, you know, it, it's almost a lunchtime reading in itself. So if the AMG, the AMG one doesn't get you, then then and you're at the opposite end of the, the spectrum, the automotive spectrum, then you can read this instead, all about these uh, these Chevy Malibus. It's interesting, interesting stuff. Yep. Okay, uh, that brings us to Parish Notes. Zoom Zoomers came out. Oh, yes. We did that, recorded that yesterday. It's out now on the YouTubes. It will be linked in the show notes okay. by the time this comes out. The next week's show will be recorded on Monday night uh, because we'll be at the Move Conference. We have to both get to London on Tuesday and probably have a an expensive beer or two in the hotel and yeah and just just it's just easier we just won't have time to swat up during the day to be perfectly frank no. it's not only that i'm not gonna have time in the morning to get it out well yes Wednesday. that's the other thing that, that, actually that was the key thing was hey we could record in the same place at the same time and he went i'm not getting up at that time in the morning to try and record something before we then have to go and speak at a conference all day uh, don't forget you can uh register to attend the move conference the link is in the show notes which should be uh, it should be good i'm looking forward to it yes i am as well minorly terrified but generally looking forward to it you'll be fine yes but don't forget everyone that between now and then uh you can give us any feedback share your thoughts with the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities remember you can support us financially via patreon and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Probably the best way to get in touch with me at the moment is via the contact page of the podcast website. Um, but you can find me on Twitter uh, if you search for Crap Windscreen, although I'm not there at the moment for my own sanity. And that of everyone around him. <laughs> Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, then it's best uh, to use Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>